this is Kat Roberts, Lieutenant Elizabeth Palmer on Star Trek Continues, and you are listening to the Trek Geeks podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. We'll show the side of the Alpha Quadrant, your independent Star Trek podcast. Welcome, everyone, to Trek Geeks. This is episode 94. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for listening. We're so glad you're here to listen to us two geeks talk about Star Trek for an hour or so. We, uh, we're grateful that you've all downloaded, and uh, we can't wait to talk about the topic we have for you tonight. And with that, I should say joining me is um, my podcast partner. You know, he and I are the number two podcast of many attendees of Star Trek Las Vegas and other Star Trek fans everywhere. And like I say, whenever I hear the phrase number two, I think of him. He's he's Dan Davidson. Dan, how are you, buddy? I was wondering where you were going with that. And uh, as usual, you were right up there on the insult chain, and I appreciate it. <laughs> well, I just call him as I see him or smell him. Uh, wow. Yeah, thanks. It's uh, always good to be here. We got a good show. I'm looking forward to the discussion tonight. Episode 94. Yeah, I know. It's hard to believe that we're fast closing in on our 100th episode, Dan. It's uh, it, it's pretty amazing, I got to say. That would be the century mark. <laughs> yeah, I can't put anything by you. <laughs> yeah, good to, it's, those, uh, good to see those New Hampshire public schools have done their job. What? what? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, right? Well, Dan, we do have a fantastic topic tonight, one you and I are very excited to talk about. Why don't you regale us with what that might be? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, as everyone knows, this is the 30th anniversary of Star Trek The Next Generation, first airing on television. So we're going to do a lot of TNG this year. We figure it's worth it. It's a great show. We had a lot of great topics to discuss. Uh, so tonight, we're going to talk about one of the great two-parters in the entire series, and that is the episode Chain of Command from Season 6. And uh, it's, a, it's a good one. I've watched it a couple of times over the last week and a half, and it's, it does not get boring at all. No, it certainly doesn't. And um, I watched it again this weekend um, for probably about the second time in the last week. And there's just there's so much in this episode, and we're going to talk about it in just a bit. Dan, before we get to the news, why don't you also tell our friends at home how they can get in touch with us? Absolutely. As always, on Twitter, Facebook, Skype, and Instagram, our handle is Trek Geeks. You can send us an email at podcast at trekgeeks.com, or we would love to hear your mellifluous tones by calling 508-784-1701 and leaving us a voicemail, or go to speakpipe.com slash trekgeeks and leave us a note as well. As always, our official Facebook group, Camp Kittimer, is available for you to join. We've got a lot of great discussion going on right there. We've got uh, Discovery Talk, and we've got 30th Anniversary Talk going on, uh, a little STC discussion as well. Uh, you get early access to the Trek Geeks podcast uh, as a member of Camp Kittimer. 
So to join the group, just go to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer. And uh, please remember that uh, any comments or messages you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode. Bill. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate that great job, buddy, as always. Of course, the real benefit of Camp Kittimer is getting to talk to Dan Davidson. A minute ago, you were calling me number two, and now you're sucking up. What's going on? Well, I I got to keep you happy on the podcast somehow. You always make me happy, sir. I want people to think that I, I that I want you to talk to people in Camp Kittimer, even though I just don't want you to talk. Dan, it's time for the news from treknews.net. Spanning the Alpha Quadrant. For all the latest Star Trek news, it's treknews.net. Online at treknews.net. Dan, we have a whole bunch of stuff to talk about this week. And probably first up, you know, as I... I sit here looking at the headline for this uh, this bit of news that we have. I'm surrounded by hmm. a series of pins from our friends at Fansets. You know, I'm looking at uh, Benjamin Sisko and the Gorn, and I got a Jem Hadar, and I got a Spock, and I got a Defiant, and I got an Enterprise. I'm surrounded by pins here. They're but awesome. But they have some amazing news that they have released through us and TrekNews.net. Yeah, we're very excited. We love the guys over at Fansets. Uh, we talk to them a lot. Uh, we love hanging out with them at uh, STLV, and we're looking forward to doing it again this year. They got three big announcements that came out recently, first of which uh, is that they are going to be releasing characters and ship pins from the Kelvin timeline, which is awesome. So we'll see some uh, awesome Enterprise that I've always enjoyed, the Enterprise from the Kelvin timeline. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, also, for you comic book fans, of course, next month is the free comic book uh, uh, extravaganza with the Star Trek The Next Generation Mirror Universe comic is going to be released. Well, they are also going to be doing characters and ships from that forthcoming comic book, which I think is really cool because we don't know anything about it yet. So that's very awesome. Uh, and finally, uh, I'm sitting, you were just describing all of the things that you're looking at at your desk. At my desk, I have the 50th anniversary pin set collectible that they came out with last year. They are also going to be doing a Star Trek TNG 30th anniversary commemorative set, just like this TOS one that I'm looking at. It's going to be eight pins, and they'll be the giant pins like the, the one I'm looking at. The set is going to be numbered to only 178 sets, which is build. You know the little bit of trivia about that number, 178? Oh, I think I might. I believe it's the number of episodes in Star Trek The Next Generation. There you go. Yep. 178 only. It's going to be available for anyone who wants them in the Star Trek community. And they're going to launch the sale, being able to sell that or being able to purchase that, I should say, at STLV in August. So I think I'll be right there in line. That is going to go quick, without a doubt. Very quick. 178 is going to go very quickly. Plus, the quality of these pins is, uh, I mean, they're not paying us to say this. I am a big fan of their product. Mm -hmm. And uh, these pins are just, they're fantastic. I love them. I think they're a great collectible. They kind of remind me of collecting pins at Disney in a way. Yeah, they're beautiful. One of the things that they just started selling, which I really like, is like little holders that you can put on your desk and a pin can sit in it standing up so you don't have to attach it to anything. And I really like those. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing all these new things. I'm psyched about the uh, Kelvin timeline. I think that's just fantastic. I can't wait to see how those look and i'm sure we'll get a great gander of them in uh, in vegas without a doubt absolutely 
Well, Dan, uh, obviously people can head over to fansets.com for more info. They've got the whole, not just Star Trek, all kinds of other pins out there. And uh, we hope everybody um, just gets lots of pins. A lot of pins. Dan, up next, it looks like we have an update on the DS9 dock, and um, they might have exceeded a goal or two. Just a couple. Yeah, it's pretty phenomenal to see how this just keeps doing better and better every day. What we left behind, fundraising, uh, it's got a, almost a, a little less than a couple weeks left to go. Uh, they have already reached an exact number as of recording this evening is $388,629, which is Unbelievable. They were asking for just under 150000 to start. They have already gone through two stretch goals, and they're close to their third. I believe their third is 425 if I yes. remember correctly. Yes. Um, it's just awesome. They've been adding a lot of great perks lately, so uh, go check it out on the Indiegogo site. Uh, donate what you can. This is going to be a phenomenal documentary. And also check out the awesome guest appearance by a certain secret someone in their latest update video with Ira. <laughs> that video is a scream. It is great. And, uh, just another reason why that one particular person is one of my favorite people in the whole of Star Trek. So uh, 261% of goal with 11 days left. That That's is just awesome. phenomenal what the fans of Deep Space Nine have have come together to uh, to donate. I'm just, I, I can't wait to see this, and I can't wait to find out more about the project as it goes on. Me too. Dan, moving along... Our great friends, our Star Trek family at Star Trek Continues, have announced the premiere date for their eighth episode. Episode eight. And we were both just giddy as can be when we saw this uh, announcement come through last week. Still Treads the Shadow will be the episode title uh, for episode eight. It will be premiering at the Fan Expo Dallas on Saturday, April 1st, 2017. And it will guest star Reka Sharma from the Battlestar Galactica reboot. So that should be pretty awesome. They always get amazing guest stars in these episodes. Reka is incredible. She was one of my favorite parts of the Battlestar Galactica reboot in her role. And um, I'm excited to see her in this episode. I can't wait to see what kind of character they've written. I, I can't wait to see the episode. I am. Um, well, it's, it's Star Trek continues. Of course, I can't wait to see it because <laughs> yeah. all they do is churn out quality Star Trek. They are amazing. Uh, we also got news in this announcement uh, that episodes 9, 10, and 11 are in post-production, and they will be releasing them throughout the year as they are completed to wrap up the series, which is unfortunate. Uh, but they have that uh, plan in place. Uh, they're going to have more amazing guest stars in all of these latest episodes, which will cum culminate in a thrilling series finale by acclaimed science fiction author Robert J. Sawyer, who wrote such novels as Flash Forward. And he's also a Hugo and Nebula Award winner, so he hasn't really done anything too exciting, right? <laughs> I got to tell you, I really liked Flash Forward when it was on ABC. It was turned into a series. It only ran for one season. They left it as a massive you know, cliffhanger because they didn't know if it was coming back. And mm -hmm. ABC, as they do with so many shows, just botched it. Yeah. So uh, I'm excited. I, I can only imagine the kind of script he's turned in for Star Trek Continues. And the only thing that saddens me about the whole thing is that we have to start talking about a finale. Right. I 100% uh, I agree with you. I'm also very excited that I believe that this episode eight, Still Treads the Shadow, will be directed by our friend Julian Higgins, who we were able to meet when we were down on set a couple of years ago. Um, yes. That's absolutely. awesome. 
Wow, it's hard to think that now it's it's like eighteen months, which qualifies as almost a couple of years. I know it's crazy. Oh man, I uh, so April first, and it's not an April Fool's joke. No, it is That's not an April thing. Fool's joke. Which are, uh, if it would, I'd be very upset. And we are envious of everybody going to Fan Expo Dallas uh, for sure. And I I can't wait to hear when the other ones premiere. Hopefully, there will be one near us. It's kind of awesome that people in Dallas can go to something exciting instead of just a Cowboys game. <laughs> well, <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Maybe the Cowboys will be there taking tickets at Fan Expo. You never know. There you go. Dan, today, just before we recorded, it appears that Les Moonves, president of CBS, announced that there's a tentative premiere timeline for Star Trek Discovery, the now third tentative premiere timeline. <laughs> yeah, so um, I'm sure people are questioning if it's going to change again, but uh, he did tell investors today that it is going to premiere in the late summer or early fall of this year, 2017. So it's quite a quite a range, so it can fluctuate a little bit. Uh, you and I have talked uh, from time to time that we think it's going to be a September release, although that's just complete speculation on our part. Um, and as I mentioned today, I think it would be kind of cool if if they uh, launched the first episode on September 8th, but that's just my opinion. I agree with you. I think that it might be a little later than that, maybe mid-September. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm okay with that too. You know, that that's still late summer, you know, close to early fall. You know, there's going to be the premiere on CBS television. It's right around the premiere time for a lot of shows. Right. So I think that's good, honestly. Mm-hmm. I think that just helps bolster Star Trek. And um, it may drive more interest in CBS All Access as a result, especially when people realize the other CBS content they can get. I actually have watched The Good uh, the good Fight, sorry, the sequel to mm-hmm. The Good Wife on CBS All Access. And Anthony Rapp from Star Trek Discovery turned up in the pilot, which I awesome. thought was pretty fun. That's awesome. <laughs> so already he's going to be in two premieres for two different CBS All Access series. He's really getting his we're getting his money worth from that guy. I know, right? <laughs> What's really cool also uh, that uh, they reported in this article with uh, CBS Chief uh, Chief Les Moonves is that uh, Discovery, as we know, started filming on January twenty fourth, so it's been going for a couple of weeks now. They're scheduled to wrap up shooting on September seventh, so it's kind of cool uh, how that's all going to uh, come about. Uh, so with the release, the majority of the first season's episodes will be completed, and that'll give some good post production time to wrap things up. So we're looking at maybe a mid November, early December finale for season one because it will be released on a weekly basis instead of dropping the entire season all at once, which a lot of online channels do these days. So I'm glad it's going to be weekly. Yeah, me too. Uh, it'll be interesting to see because Walking Dead's fall premiere is usually right around October. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of overlap there is there with Sonequa Martin-Green's character on both shows. <laughs> good point. Absolutely. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. That's good. And Dan, lastly today, we would be incredibly remiss if we didn't observe the second anniversary of the passing of our dear Leonard Nimoy. Um, certainly not news, but worthy of mention. Um, this podcast was very early on in its infancy. It was 90 episodes ago in our fourth episode that we had to um, um, gather as sick as we were, because we both had the flu that week, to record our thoughts on the passing of Leonard Nimoy. And now that two years have passed, I think you and I are, are learning new things about his contributions to Star Trek and his place in fandom you know, with every passing year. I agree. There's more and more to respect from the guy and from what he did 
it's too bad it's after his passing. Um, I can remember exactly where I was the moment that it started uh, hitting the news. You actually told me about it. I was walking to lunch with some of my teammates uh, that day two years ago, and it's amazing that it already has been two years. It doesn't seem like it. Um, and I started listening to episode four a little bit today, and, and unfortunately, I got caught up some stuff and had to pause it and never got back to it. But uh, yeah, it was a that was a that was a tough uh, a tough show to do. It really was. I mean, you and I were still trying to find our way in the whole podcasting space. You know, we're still very new at it, and we weren't really quite sure how to deal with our feelings on the whole matter. And you know, I, I'd like to think we turned out an episode that was respectful both of of fandom and Star Trek, and and ultimately of Leonard. And it's um, I I haven't yet gone back to listen to it, but I I figure I will probably this weekend. But um, I I may actually sit down and and watch some some Star Trek too, simply just to um, you know raise my glass and and show Leonard some love. Here here. Dan, this week in the main content of the episode, we're going to take a look at probably one of the best two-parters that Star Trek The Next Generation ever had. And I speak, of course, of the season six episode, Chain of Command. Um, This is an episode I I liked instantly, and I'm fairly certain that you did too. Oh, absolutely. It's one of the best. It's got great uh, drama. It's got tension. It's got uh, everything you want, great guest stars. uh, And it is one of those ones that you can watch over and over again and really never get bored with it's just it's just so well done so well written so well um uh the camera action uh, on it is great i enjoyed this this two-parter tremendously it could have easily been a cliffhanger it it could have been and i think it would have been an effective one mm-hmm. although i'm kind of glad it wasn't because i would have been just as upset <laughs> <laughs> As I was. Festival Worlds. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that really would have been like, oh man, again? <laughs> As it was, it aired in December of 92. So, I mean, it was close to the, you know, the, sort of like the, uh, the the holiday break, if you will, the winter break. And so it, it you know, I, I was kind of worried. It's like, well, are we going to find out what happens before they break for the, before we go on winter, you know, <laughs> hiatus Uh, what's going on here yeah but i think what we have here is an episode that at least in my opinion is probably one of the darkest episodes of next gen and it works it works phenomenally phenomenally i can't say that word too well uh but it works that good um you don't often see issues of prisoners of war and torture in the next generation. That's something that you probably would be used to seeing in Deep Space Nine, to be quite honest, uh, because of everything going on with the Dominion War. But um, next generation has always been kind of a beacon of hope and and stories have always been uh, very different than what we saw in Chain of Command, but it is done effectively uh, and powerfully. Well, and the interesting thing is this, you know, this episode came out just before Deep Space Nine premiered. Mm-hmm. You know, so they were certainly writing Deep Space Nine and they were starting to plan their arcs. But these episodes, you know, premiered at least a good three weeks before DS9 had its pilot run in first run syndication, which I find very interesting. Yeah, I find it very interesting also. I love how they started the real heavy 
Cardassian influence. There was a couple of episodes prior to this where there was a little bit in, but this is the first one where you really get uh, uh, some some teeth into what this uh, alien race is like. And and all of the people who play Cardassians in this episode, uh, from David Warner, who we'll talk about later, to the the uh, gentleman who was the um, attache, so to speak, on the Enterprise, uh, he was brilliant. A very scary, very devious looking Cardassian. It really, it really shows what this race is like. And I loved how they did it. Yeah, I have to agree with you. It added some, some real depth to the Cardassians more so than we got before and like the wounded. Mm-hmm. I mean, we knew something about their history. We knew that there was, you know, the, the conflict between the Federation and the Cardassians and the Setlick Three massacre. But this, this adds a whole level of the Cardassian culture that I think is a little shocking um, on a variety of levels. Right. Uh, going back to the start of the episode, I think one of the things that that really gets this episode off on the right foot is the teaser, you know, the prologue. Right. You know, they welcome Admiral Nechev aboard the Enterprise, you know, lover or hater, you know, she, she's a great character. <laughs> and um, it, the teaser is probably one of the shorter ones in next-gen history where she essentially says, yeah, I'm here to relieve you as captain of the Enterprise. It's like, what? Dun, dun, dun. Fade to black. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? And, you know, it's amazing. The, little, the littlest things have the strongest impact in this episode. Patrick Stewart's ability to give the reaction that he did in that split second spoke volumes. I thought it was brilliantly done by him. I have to agree with you. And in the next scene, you know, during, you know, after, I should say after the opening credits, we're in the Chaves meeting with, you know, the senior staff like Riker and Data and Troy in the observation lounge. Aside from the continuity error in this scene, I think that that is a really well-crafted and well-acted scene because Riker's going out of his mind. You know, not only does he have no idea where Picard is, is gone to, he's also not going to be in command of the Enterprise. And automatically, you can tell from the get-go, he is bristling at the whole thing. This is, and we're going to talk about this in depth shortly, but this very beginning is where you see that he is completely off the rails in this episode, in my mind, in terms of how he's dealing with stuff. Um, but yes, that's a, now for the continuity, continuity error. Are you speaking to the fact that the Admiral didn't have a comm badge? Yes, I am. Okay. I got it right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was a total guess. Cause that's the only thing I could think of when you said that. <laughs> it's, it's plain as day too. I mean, she shows up with one on next scene. <laughs> hey, where's, where's the jewelry? Where's the comm badge? I know. She's got her rank pips on. She's got her Admiral smock on. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. So we find out in the course of this episode that along with Picard, Dr. Crusher and Lieutenant Worf are being assigned to a secret mission. Uh, We'll call it a ninja mission because they look like they're dressed like ninjas, for God's sake. (laughs) To go to a Cardassian outpost to see if they're creating a metagenic weapon. I think I have the techno babble right there. That is absolutely correct. Yep. So... One of the interesting things this reveals about the Cardassians, potentially, is that they could be entering into biological warfare mm-hmm. and a, a weapon that is outlawed by the Federation. And I have to tell you, when I'm watching this the first time in 1992, you know, in my, my basement in Denver, Colorado, I'm thinking to myself, man, really? Because uh, the, the, the Klingons wouldn't do that. The Romulans might do that, although they really wouldn't they mm-hmm. could just sneak up on people and attack them but you know 
biological warfare kind of takes Star Trek to a slightly different level in this sense. It does. And uh, it's like you said, we don't know a lot about this race, but that kind of gives you a good first impression, which ain't all that good. Uh, not many uh, not many races talk about, of course, the Romulans, well, a Romulan decided to try a biological weapon in Nemesis, but we don't want to talk about Nemesis. Um, <laughs> well, he was Reman, though. <laughs> well, that's true. And human clone. So yeah, human. Uh, he was human. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the humans use bi- bi- biological weapons. Okay. Great. That's the end of this episode. <laughs> so, <laughs> All right. Good night. Um. Yeah. And I like the deviousness. The deviousness of the Kardashians. This elaborate plan and scheme to get Picard with this metagenic weapon and his theta band expertise from when he was on the Stargazer. It shows that they are willing to do just about anything to get the end result that they want which shows that as at times we've heard that they are were a conquered race and dealt with a lot of um, society problems, uh, hunger and starvation, they are also very militaristic and they are willing to do whatever it takes or that part of their ra- uh, culture is able is willing to. It also says that their intelligence network is hmm. in full swing and that you know they are clearly spying on the federation. You know, we kind of got that sense before, a little bit. But to have as many details about Picard as they do is a little unnerving because it's not like they've had all that much dealing with Picard. Exactly. Yeah, they have a very good uh, intelligence network, so to speak. So the Enterprise, or command of the Enterprise, is tra- transferred to Captain Edward Jellicoe of the starship Cairo. And he comes aboard a fairly... You know, a friendly guy shakes Will's hand and kind of bounds off the transporter pad. He's excited. But he's brought in because he negotiated the original peace treaty with the Cardassians. Mm-hmm. And Achea feels that he's the one that's qualified to deal with them again. And that Riker just isn't. And I think that this episode points out that Riker just isn't. Right. He, he isn't. And it, I think this episode shows that maybe he wasn't as ready for the captain's chair as some members of Starfleet thought he was more than once his ability to deal with conflict in this episode showed a lot of um i think problems for him if he were captain it's it's poor i mean let's be honest about it it's his job to execute the captain's orders it doesn't matter who that captain is whoever's in command of of the ship of which he is first officer it's his job to 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 do the job quite frankly and he almost treats it like he's annoyed that Picard is gone and he has to deal with this new captain. And I'm, I, it made me disappointed in Riker. I mean, Frakes plays it beautifully. Don't get me wrong. But Riker's written as a bit of a, a change-o-phobe and somebody who's intolerant of having to work with somebody new. Right. Um, that's one of the good things. That, that's one of the things about this episode that I love so much is there's a definitive A story and there's a definitive B story in this episode. Both of them are just fantastic. Normally the B story, it's like the flip side of a record. It's never as good as the one that you really wanted to see. This episode does a great job of having both stories just suck you in for the entire episode itself. Um, I'd like to know what you think is the A story and what you think is the B story, though, because I'm sure that some people might flip it around because they're both so well done. Yeah, no, they really are. I mean, uh, to me, the, the A story is clearly 
Picard being tortured. Yeah. It's the mission to the to to get the the metagenic weapon that doesn't exist. And the B story just happens to be about, you know, a different chain of command and the one that Riker is is in and having to report to Jellico and how it kind of throws the whole crew off kilter, everyone from Geordi to Deanna to to Will, and even to Data, Data. to some extent. Yeah. Data has to take on new responsibilities. I got to tell you, tangent. Tangent alert. <laughs> so when Playmates action figures were coming out in the 90s, I looked for that red Data action Jeez. figure high and low, man. I tore apart every Toys R Us and... <laughs> And Target and Walmart and Toy Store and the Metropolitan Denver area in that that time frame, and I could not find that thing did to save my it? life. Oh yeah, they did. It's oh. one of the uh, the most collectible Playmates action figures oh, there wow. are. Incredibly hard to find. Probably more hard to find than the uh, Command Holographic Doctor from Voyager, I would imagine. <laughs> Probably, but <laughs> who wants that? <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> But no, the red data, even back then in the 1990s, the mid-90s was going for 200 bucks. Wow. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> if you see one now, it's it's kind of like finding a unicorn. Okay. So, <laughs> you know, I've never seen one in person. I believe they exist. Okay. All right. So. A little spoiler alert from Bill Psyche. <laughs> <laughs> so. So Jellico has the whole crew on edge, and it's partly because of his command style. He's a very different captain from Picard. He's a very effective captain. He's a very you know task-oriented, leadership-driven guy, and he just wants people to, as he would say, get it done. Right. I I love Jellico. Uh, let's get right down to it. Ronnie Cox and David Warner give unbelievable performances as guests in this episode. Ronnie Cox as, as Jellico is just fantastic. I love how it's um, a little bit of both. He 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 talks to Deanna about how he expects a certain amount of formality on the bridge, so he wants her to start wearing her command uniform, which she starts doing from this point, so we see it a lot more. But at the same time, he calls them all by their first name. I think yes. that's kind of interesting. Uh, he's very quick. Uh I think it's even though Deanna thinks that he is putting on a show when he's acting very sure of himself, he really looks like he's sure of himself. And that's a testament to him and his command ability, I think. I have to agree with you. Um, one of my favorite scenes with Jellico in, in these episodes is the one with Picard in the ready room where he essentially says to Picard, you know, the Enterprise isn't yours anymore. Hmm. Um, you know, he, he's direct, he's blunt. You can tell that it throws Picard off kilter because Picard essentially, I'm sure, wants to use some colorful metaphors to tell him what he can do with his with the ready room. Yeah. But Picard goes to leave the room and, you know, he says, uh, uh, Jean-Luc, because he even calls Picard by his first name. Right. I believe this is yours. And he hands him his, his volume of Shakespeare. Right. And the look on Patrick Stewart's face when he takes the book from him is almost like, yeah. <laughs> Okay. The thing I love that, that scene. The thing that got me in that scene, the whole scene is, is so well done. But the one that was the shocker is when he says, you know, chances are you're not coming back from this mission. So pretty much he's saying you're going to die. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Thanks. Here's your book. Yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah you're going to be dead, but you might want this book to go with you. <laughs> it's funny that uh, this, 
it's not just Picard that has that change come over his face in the ready room. When he talks to Deanna and how she's being completely honest about what is going on with the crew, and he is like, oh, well, gee, well, thanks for bringing this to my attention, but I don't have time for people to get to know me. The look on her face, and you can see her kind of like look off to the side like, oh, my God, who is this guy? I think it's great. I think it's just awesome tension between the two of them that he may not even realize is happening because he's so in his own way of doing things. I think on some level he does, though, because he immediately asks her to deal with it. You know, it's like, well, I I don't have time to deal with this. So I tell you what, you can explain to the crew what's going on. Or they can like, get shipped out an airlock. Yeah. <laughs> you can take your concern and the crew and you guys can deal with it because I got Cardassians to plan for. Right. Now, to his defense, that's a, you just hit the nail on the head. He has to deal with a potential war situation, and he doesn't have time for people crying like little babies because their captain's gone and they've got a new captain. So I totally understand it from that perspective, but at the same time, the way that things were thrust upon the entire crew, he doesn't give one shred of – or look like he gives one shred of concern about it. He just wants somebody else to deal with it because he's got bigger things to worry about. I only wish that Jellico had been captain of the Enterprise for like four or five episodes, simply just to establish a little bit more of an arc. Yes. And you it's know? really a shame we didn't get to see him ever again, not just on the Enterprise, but anywhere else in the in the series. Yeah, I agree. I uh, I love Ronnie Cox. He did a great job in this. I um his negotiating tactics uh, or tactics? His negotiating tactics. Tactics. Tactics with the Cardassians were uh a little strange, and even you know, Will, who's negotiated plenty, and Deanna thought they were kind of bizarre too. Yes, but then at the same time, that all goes back to him being sure of himself, being involved in in negotiations in the past, and he was talking to Deanna about how they're like pack wolves, and and it's it's just a question of who's going to survive. So he, I, it sounds like he kind of has an idea how he needs to do it, and he didn't bother sharing what he was planning on doing with Will or Deanna, which probably is what why it catches them off guard so much i think the whole standing up and getting ready to like pounce on the on the the cardassian was a little uh too much but at the same time seems to know what he was doing yeah i agree with you i mean i have a hard time believing that he's a loose cannon but i understand why he wanted to project that um uh, although it made the cardassian seem a little dim-witted backwards <laughs> well maybe not pack led wise but like, ah, they will fall for my clever ruse. <laughs> <laughs> and then he walks in later. He goes, hi, let's get to talking, shakes hands and sits down. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like he's he's pretending to be that angry and that irate when he is that angry and irate. And it's like, <laughs> dude, dial it down. I mean, come on. Really? So, I, and I will say also, Ronnie Cox look, looks awesome in that Starfleet uniform, doesn't he? He does. It fits him perfectly. It's like he was made for it. <laughs> or like he had a tailor, one of them. <laughs> so Picard is captured by the Cardassians. He's taken to a Cardassian detention facility. Um, Crusher and Worf get away, you know, because they have to make it back to the Enterprise. Right. And Picard doesn't know that. And he is quest drugged and questioned by Gal Madrid, as played by David Warner. Um, David Warner, who apparently only found out he was doing this part three days before he did it. That's amazing. And his lines, more often than not, were on cue cards. <laughs> did you know that? I did not know that at all. That is, wow. 
Yeah. I mean, he doesn't have a lot of dialogue, but the dialogue he has is pretty powerful. Well, that that's a hundred percent true. You know, um, apparently in a 2011 interview, at least in the memory alpha entry, he's like, I took over on three days notice. It was another makeup job. It was with Pat Stewart, who's an old colleague. It was great to be part of that. I thought, Oh, I've done two of the others, the old classic ones. And here I am in the next generation. I'll go for it. So I wasn't aware of it, the Cardassians, and I didn't know their history at all, except, of course, that they weren't nice. <laughs> and he, he, he turned out to be the not nicest of all of them. Yeah. Due to the short time in which he had to prepare, Warner also did not have enough time to memorize his lines as such. They were written down on cue cards, as he commented. There was too much Technobabylon dialogue that doesn't come naturally to me, so they wrote everything up for me. I don't mind people knowing this. Every line I said, I was actually reading it over Patrick's shoulder, or they put it down there for me to do it, which I think is is fascinating. That is that is a really awesome surprise for me. You can't tell at all. Uh that's really cool. I'd love to see some behind-the-scenes footage of those scenes being filmed with those cue cards if it exists somewhere, because that would be really cool to see. Maybe in a future edition of the Roddenberry Vault, if that kind of thing exists. Sure, but, sure. You know, it just it shows you what a pro David Warner is. I mean, you. I had no idea until I read that yesterday that that was the case. That's pretty awesome. I mean, we've loved him in all of the Star Trek stuff he he's done. Star Trek six, uh, Star Trek. Uh, let's see, he was he was the five. chancellor, and in five he was the ambassador. Um, yeah, he's been great in all the things he's done, and not just Star Trek. He's been in so many things. I was flipping through the stations the other night, and Titanic was on, and he has he's like the bodyguard for Goofball, and uh, he does a great job in that, even though he's only in a few scenes. I'm sorry, Goofball. Goofball. I can't remember his name. The uh, Hockley. The the guy who Rose likes or doesn't like, but is supposed to marry, but doesn't want to and gets Jack instead. But then he dies. I've and not that shit goes Titanic. down at the end of Titanic. Did you know that? Oh, spoiler alert. <laughs> All right. I've digress. Actually, sorry. <laughs> I've actually not watched Titanic because I know how it ends. <laughs> the ship sank. Wow. <laughs> Although there was still enough room on that driftwood for oh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Of course there was. He's not a big guy anyway. No. He's like a, t- he's like a bean. <laughs> <laughs> what were we talking yeah. about? <laughs> we digress. So this whole second act of Chain of Command, you know, essentially becomes this this beautiful duet, to coin a phrase, between David Warner and Patrick Stewart, and the the really uncomfortable and unnerving torture of Jean Luc Picard, and then. Uh, we've never seen anything like this or depicted to this degree in Star Trek. Certainly we've seen, you know, Kirk tortured some, but um, this really was sobering and shocking in 1992. It was, it wasn't something you expected to see. Like we talked about before in TNG, just the scene of, of Picard being hung up by that metal, whatever it was, and then stripped down naked. And he's just hanging there and you can tell that he is. And, and Gal Madrid is just standing there, talking casually to him and uh, the torture device that gets implanted in his chest is another thing. I like to have one of those for you every once in a while, <laughs> but that's uh that was another thing. I was like, wow. Uh, yeah. It's, 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 it's really something that you do not expect to see in uh, especially TNG. You know, it's, it's really kind of amazing. I think the one thing I was not prepared for was probably Patrick Stewart's ass. <laughs> um, especially on a Saturday night at seven o'clock. You know, I'm like watching it going, whoa, whoa, I did not need to see that. Uh, he's a fine looking man, though. It's, it's, he's pretty buff. I'm not going to lie. Um, 
but uh, that was surprising too because you know at that point, you know, um, uh, you know, people would talk about NYPD Blue a couple of years later, right. and you know, Patrick was was probably doing it before Dennis Franz was. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. So that these these conversations between Gal Madrid and and Picard are not only painful and insightful and um, in a way that it's beautiful because of the dialogue, because of the give and take between these characters. But ultimately they reach a point where Picard is probably equally torturing Madrid as much as Madrid is torturing him with the way he reacts. Yes. And I was going to say one of the things that shows how uh, horrible a person Madrid is, is how he involves his young daughter in the whole process of, of torturing Picard and, and the way that he, he talks to her about what humans are like, but Picard turns it around on him and that's when things start getting a little hairy. Uh, but yeah. beautifully done that Picard is able to start turning the tide, so to speak on what's going on, even though he's still getting tortured a lot, he's able to to twist some screws on, on Gull Madrid and get him uh, a little aggravated. Oh, um, uh, and how, you know, it gets to the point where, you know, Madrid starts referring to him as only as human. And then he screws up. And when you he slips, called me Picard. When he slips, Picard just seizes yeah. on it. <laughs> and you can tell instantly that it was like, you know, the equivalent of bamboo under the fingernails to Madrid because yeah. he he made a mistake. And he seems like the kind of man who does not make mistakes, mm-hmm. especially in this arena. Right. He let this lowly human get under his skin and he screwed up. And he, you can tell when he turns that device on, he is not a happy camper. <laughs> No. Well, I mean, even when, you know, Madrid is talking about uh, his daughter, mm-hmm. you know, and they banter back and forth about, you know, uh, military power and Cardassian civilization. And, you know, Madrid says that, you know, because of, uh, of Cardassia and its military, his daughter will never go hungry. And Picard says her belly may be full, but her spirit will be empty. And that just, you know, that un- totally unnerves Madrid. And he mm-hmm. went up, you know, smacking Picard across the face. Right. And, you know, Picard is, is equally as adept at finding those inroads to his subject, uh, Madrid. And I don't think Madrid is necessarily aware of it at first, that Picard is working on him as much as he is working on Picard through torture. And that's a testament to Picard, because even with all that he's going through, the torture and the pain, and, the, and I'm sure there's a lot of um, mental abuse going on at the same time, he's still able to know what he needs to do and exploit what he needs to exploit to get under Madrid's skin. Definitely. Um, one of the things that, that really was kind of sobering about this episode, you know, we all go around as Trekkies and Trekkers, you know, quoting, there are four lights. Right. You know, you're dying to do it right now as Picard. Go ahead. Nope. Come on, you got to now. There oh, four lights. That's pretty good. Thank you. Um, but, you know, at, at the time, it, it made me think of the whole theory of cognitive dissonance and a brain that is in disharmony eventually will move toward harmony simply because it has to. And you know, we get to the end of this episode and Picard is talking to Deanna in his ready room and he's like, you know, all I had to do to be free and live a life of comfort was to tell him that there were five lights and he wanted to. But more important than that, he 
thought he could see five lights after yeah. a time. And I think that that speaks to the the sheer, you know, horrificness of of torture as it as it exists in in today's culture in some societies. Mm-hmm. You know, Picard is not a dumb man. Picard is a strong man. He's endured the Borg. He's endured this. He's endured countless other situations. But he was on the verge of of breaking, and it I'm sure is an unsettling thing, especially after the Borg really did break him. Right, and it's another uh, very very split second thing but like we talked about at the very beginning of the episode with the look on his face when he's going to be relieved the look on his face when he admits to deanna that he could see five was it was it was a little unsettling to be honest and that's just that's how the episode ends and it's just brilliant it it really is because it it leaves picard in in a place where you know he's been damaged again Mm -hmm. you know that he has suffered a significant trauma again and of course they're going to come back to it next week. Oh, oh, no. they're really I not. They might go back to France to see his brother. Well, I tell you what, that is probably one of the most effective episodes of season four. I think mm-hmm. it's it's the one that that doesn't take place in space, really. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, this leaves Picard at a very precarious spot. I think, and that's something I wish they had built on going forward. I mean, this episode was so dark, and it is so impactful that you can almost have a hard time imagining them going back to episodic life after this, but they do. Yes. And they do it I well. I think it's one of the great missed opportunities for this character, quite frankly. Yeah. It would have been something I'd be, I'd be interested to see a novel of some kind, you know, cause you can do novels in between episodes. They do it all the time. It would be very interesting to see if there was a continuation of this story somewhere down the line to see how things are done. It'd be kind of cool. Oh, I agree with you 100%. I'm going to get I, my um, pen and paper out and start on it. You you do have a computer keyboard. I'm just going to throw that out there. Okay. So uh, we've got a lot to talk about as far as central questions tonight. And we'll probably skip to those a little early since um, there's there's a lot here in these questions that I think we need to talk about. And the first one is I was sitting and watching this, knowing that Deep Space Nine was premiering just weeks after this. Is that? Do you think that this episode, Chain of Command, both parts one and two, gives us a bit of a glimpse into the Obsidian Order? I'll be very honest with you, man. Um, until I read this question on our sheet for tonight, it never crossed my mind. But after reading it, 100% believe that he was in the Obsidian Order. I believe he almost has to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, perhaps it maybe it's some other you know arm of the the Cardassian military, but you know we we know from Deep Space Nine in hindsight that that Garrick, you know, as much as he is a simple tailor, was a pretty bad dude. Mm-hmm. You know, to, to put it mildly, you know, the scene in in Deep Space Nine where he's essentially keeping Odo from regenerating, right? And the interrogation strikes me a, a little bit of 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 this caliber. But I think it shows the the sadistic nature of of Garrick and how he was incredibly effective at his job, and it makes me think of Madrid, and it makes me say, well, this seems to be a quality that the Cardassians value to some extent, mm-hmm. and it made me wonder if this was 
the beginning of the Obsidian Order, whether or not they had created that concept at this time or not? Yeah, it's a very good question. If they had, uh, I've always loved the Obsidian Order and Deep Space Nine and and the deviousness and and uh, brutality of them and their ability to get intelligence. And as you said earlier in the episode tonight, the amount of intelligence that they're able to gather of Picard, his history, what's going on in Starfleet currently, except of course for what the, you know, what the militaristic um, outlook is in the sector really shows that they've got their ducks in a row. And I, I don't doubt for a second that Madrid uh, is part of the Obsidian Order, if not maybe one of the higher ups, uh, at least you think he is at the beginning until um, Picard is getting released and it's obvious that he has to take orders from someone. But uh, I definitely think it's Obsidian Order related. I would have loved to have found out that Madred was a, a protege of Tane. Yes. Or, per- or perhaps even another son of Tane. I actually thought uh, for a split second that wouldn't it be cool if somehow Madred was Garrick's father, even though, I mean, we know that Tane is, but um, it wouldn't have worked out age-wise with David Warner and Andy Robinson, but that would have been kind of cool if he was like some kind of a, uh, a father or father figure to to Garrick. I would say, what if they were half-brothers? That would be very cool, too, or or whole brothers, for that matter. Yeah, or whole brothers. Yeah. I think it would have been interesting, you know, to see that fleshed out somewhere. Um, in my you know, my head, I think that sounds pretty cool. All right. All right. I'll go Dan, with that. Next, well, thank you. Next up, you know, in this episode, Jellico gets a, a reputation among fandom. And it, some people think it's deserved and other people don't. And that is that he's he's a jerk. He is a terrible captain. You know, Riker tells him he's not a particularly good captain in the episode. Right. When they trade barbs, you know, before, well, we'll talk about that in a bit, but... Mm-hmm. So I guess the question is, is Edward Jellico really a bad captain? I don't think just because he has a different style makes him a bad captain. I think he's a good captain. I think he's a great captain. Just he doesn't have maybe the personality that everybody expects uh, everyone to have. Everybody thinks Starfleet people are all so, you know, happy and, and get along great. You got a guy who's going to say it like it is. He's going he's gonna to speak his mind. He's going to not take any crap from anybody. That doesn't make him a bad captain at all, I don't think. No, I I tend to come down on the same side of it as you do. I mean, I think that he seems bad because he's not Picard. You know, he seems bad because he's more direct and he's he's putting the crew of the Enterprise in a position where they are not comfortable. And, you know, there's tension. And we're not used to tension in Next Gen on right. the bridge of the Enterprise. And I think that that's, that could be why people perceive that Edward Jellico is not a good captain. Yeah. Personally, I think he's a, a good, I think he's a really good Star, Starfleet captain. You know, he wouldn't have been taken off the Cairo exactly the Enterprise if he weren't. That's what I was going to say. He's obviously been captain of the Cairo for a long time. He makes uh, mention that he already misses the corridors when he first beams over. And if you're a bad captain. No matter what intelligence or what uh, experience you have with the Cardassians, you're not going to become captain of the flagship. So he's got to be good in some aspects. Yeah, I believe that Edward Jellico doesn't maintain the same type of relationship with his senior staff that Jean-Luc Picard does. You know, because there's more familiarity with Picard. There's a sense of ease. You know, there's, it's not really friendship, but it's a, it's definitely a more warmth. Mm-hmm. That is you know, given by Picard than definitely Jellico has. He's just, he's very rigid. He's very cold. 
but he's also not necessarily bad because of those qualities, I think. It would have been interesting to see um, someone from the Cairo crew and what they thought of him. Yeah, I have to agree with that. It would have been nice to see him in his element, mm-hmm. to see how the Cairo was run, because really all we have is the the perceptions of of Riker and Troy and Jordy and, and everybody to to essentially give us our benchmark. Right. I um so Jellico, in our minds, not a bad guy. No. The not flip at all. side of this argument is Will Riker, because the greatest conflict for Jellico comes from Commander Riker. You know me, I am an unabashed Will Riker fan. Mm-hmm. I love the Riker character. But is Will Riker wrong in this episode? It's funny. Um, <clears throat> we talked a minute ago that people perceive Jellico to, for all intents and purposes, to be the dick in this episode. Riker is in this episode, in my opinion. I think he's way out of line in almost every scene that he has with Jellico in this episode. Uh, and one of the things that it, it just, it gets me so frustrated watching it. Cause like I said, I've watched it a few times recently. And the last time I watched it, I was watching it with my wife and the scene after the transfer of command, when he's at the bar and he's talking to Jellico about how he hasn't gotten Delta shift set up yet. And Jellico starts dressing him down. Riker looks over to Picard like, dude, are you going to do anything about this? That bothers me so much because it's none of Picard's concern anymore. But it's like, dude, you got to help me out here. You, you know, you're my buddy. I thought that was extremely out of line and set the tone for me for the rest of the episode of what Riker was like in regards to Jellico. I have to agree with you 100%. That scene is 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 bothersome to me because it makes Riker seem like he's a second lieutenant and not the first officer mm-hmm. of the flagship of the Federation. Uh, I was I was going to talk to you about that. Um, <laughs> it makes Riker seem less than competent. Yeah. Absolutely. It makes it sound like, and it makes him look like he can't, he can't stand on his own two feet and, and deal with the situation like an adult. And he has to go looking for help from someone who, frankly, he should not have gone looking for help from. Because let's be honest, Jellicoe's order was not unclear. No, it was very clear. Absolutely. He didn't say, talk to the department heads about, you know, getting a fourth ship up and running and tell me what it would take. It was effective right now. The Enterprise is on a four-shift rotation. A gamma mm-hmm. shift is coming on board. Um, at that point, it's Riker's job to do. That's right. That's what the first officer's job is. The There's a variety of things that bother me about Riker in this episode, um, especially taking Jordy's advice to go talk to Picard. Oh. <laughs> because as much um, as... Mom! Mom! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's honestly how it seems. You know, Riker makes the smart move to not say anything to Picard because it's not Picard's fight once he gets there. But the I whole don't notion, think that's why he did it at all. Well, no, I know it's not because okay. he took a look at how exhausted Picard yeah. was and was yeah. like, yeah, now's not the time. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, it, it. whatever the rationale was, it's certainly not the conversation to have with Picard because he's not in command of the ship anymore. Mm-hmm. And even if Picard had talked to Jellico, we all know how that would have turned out. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, you're uh, going to be dead soon anyway, so why don't you leave me alone? <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that frustrated me now, I think it was more for us, the viewers, is pretty much, you know, when you, it's kind of like with you. Whenever you say something to me, I kind of have to like roll my eyes like, oh, crying out loud. He does that 
all the time in this episode. Whenever Jellico gives him an order, tells him to do something, has an idea or has a correction, anything like that, he's rolling the eyes, you know, you know, making this look on his face that you, you just want to slap off. He does it in the opening scene with Nechea. Yes. <laughs> in the in the observation lounge, you know, mm-hmm. he, he's like, uh, and where's Captain Picard? <laughs> and she says, and he just rolls his eyes and looks at Deanna across the table. It's right. like, really? The Admiral's still talking, buddy, and she's looking <laughs> right at you. Riker comes across as childish in this episode, and I think that that's contrary to who Riker is. Right. You know, he's... He's he he was in command of the flagship of the Federation, you know, when the Borg were defeated. Mm-hmm. You know, he got a field promotion to captain, and he dealt with that probably better than anyone could have anticipated. And this this makes it seem like he should still be a you know a a, a junior grade lieutenant. Quite right. frankly, now on the flip side, I think the interaction that he had with Jellico in the observation lounge when Beverly was there and Deanna was correct but it was handled very poorly. It is his job to advise the captain when he thinks the captain is making a decision that is not a good one. The way he came about saying that was completely incorrect. I agree 100%. Well, thank you. The other scene that bothers me is the scene when Jellico goes to Riker's quarters with his hat in his hand, essentially, mm-hmm. to say... Uh, we we need the best pilot on the ship. And of course, since, since when is Will Riker the best pilot on the ship? <laughs> Anybody? Just in this episode. Well, Tom Paris wasn't there, so. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. The guy you want's Commander Riker. Really? <laughs> really? Riker? That's convenient. The tall guy with the beard and the trombone. <laughs> the trombone. <laughs> <I>, <laughs> that scene where he's like, oh, you're a musician. <laughs> yeah. I play jazz. And Jellico looks like jazz. <laughs> The funny part is, is that Ronnie Cox is, I think, a Dixieland jazz musician. That's great. <laughs> he's, he's got albums, for God's sake. <laughs> so in that scene, you know, where they sort of suspend rank and they, they sort of, you know, unload on each other, you know, I think that Jellico is, is perfectly justified to say everything he does to Riker. And honestly, Riker's opinion is Riker's opinion. He's perfectly justified to say it to Jellico the way he says it. But then right after that, Jellico makes the mistake of saying, well, I don't want to order you to do this. Mm-hmm. Then, and then ask me. Yeah, Riker gets that crap-eating <laughs> grin on his face <laughs> and essentially gains the upper hand and says, well, ask me. <laughs> and he just comes across as the biggest jerk in yep. the Alpha Quadrant. Absolutely agree with you there, man. All he had to do was say, Captain... You don't have to order me, but you could ask me, mm-hmm. and I would do it. Yep. And it was it could be he could have taken the high road even with just a slight change of tone, but this was about driving a screw in. Yeah. And it was it was un it was very unriker like. And I love the way that he uh, that uh, Jellico turned and walked out of that room as soon as he got the yes. It was it was great. I did want to bring up one thing that I thought Jellico did not handle well in regards okay. to Riker. And that's when they are uh, Riker and Picard, uh, Riker and, I'm sorry, Picard and Jellico are in the ready room discussing things. And they get to the border and Riker comes on and says that they're at the border and Jellico asks if they launched the probe. And Riker says, yes, sir. 
I wasn't aware you wanted to be informed. And Jellico has all been out of shape about that. I'm sorry. Jellico gave an order to do something, did not say, let me know when it's done. So Riker followed the orders. I thought Jellico was out of line in the way that he reacted to Riker, letting him, not letting him know that it had been launched just so that he could start that conversation with Picard about how he didn't think he was a good first officer. I, I can see where where you draw that opinion from, and I'm kind of taking the opposite side on this one, because if this had been Picard sitting in the ready room, one of the first things Riker would have said was, oh, the, by the way, the probe was launched. He would have told him already. You know, Riker is the executive officer. He knows well, that Jellicoe has a little more direct quality. You would think until you learn the guy's, you know method of doing things, you would probably over-communicate to some extent. Okay, that's what I was going to say. So you're saying that he should have said, oh, we're at the uh, coordinates and the, the probe has been launched per your orders. Yes. And he just didn't do that. And so obviously Jellico then asked the question. I see what you're saying. Yeah. You know, he, I think he probably, Picard would have assumed that it had been done and, mm-hmm. you know, he knows Riker and yeah, they've developed that shorthand in their relationship. But, you know, Riker doesn't know Jellico. You know, if it were me, I would have said, we're here and it's done. Yeah. That's just me, though. Nah, that's because you have to be Mr. Perfect Pants. <laughs> wow. I don't even like wearing pants, so let's just get off of this topic. Okay. So, Dan, lastly in our central questions, there are 178 episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation, as we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Is this episode, and we'll count this chain of command as, as one episode, even though it's a two-parter. Is this Patrick Stewart's best turn as Jean-Luc Picard in the entire series? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, just thinking off the top of my head, of course, now because this one's fresh in my mind, I'm more apt to say yes. But then I quickly think of episodes like Brothers, and he's just phenomenal in that. Uh, and uh, The Inner Light is another one that I think is is he does a very good job. But in terms of acting outside what we're used to seeing with him as Captain Picard. I, I can't say that it's not his best episode. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> I mean, it's that's, so fresh in my mind. Every scene is just so great, but there could be an episode that I'll see in a couple of weeks. That I haven't thought of for a while. And I'll be like, Oh my God, Stuart is so great in this episode. That's a very effective um, non-answer. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> My dad was a politician. Uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> he was. That's, he was. I, um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say this is by far his best episode as Picard in the run of the series. Oh, wow. By far. Hmm. Yeah, by far. Because of the places that he has to take this character and because of uh, uh, of what the character experiences. And it's all real. It's all very realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, Personally, I think that Patrick Stewart should have been nominated for an Emmy just for this performance alone. Wow. I think that it is that unnerving. I think it is that uh, incredible. And I think it's probably some of his most intense work in all of Star Trek. There's a great intensity to to Picard in this this episode because of what he's enduring. And I, I think it's a shame that Patrick wasn't recognized in that way, in particular for this episode. No, that's I I don't disagree with you, man. When you put it in those words, yeah, it's very uh, very enlightening. I thought the scene in the episode that was on H and I last night, uh, the battle when he's on board the Stargazer and yep. he's pretending to cough 
in a fire with smoke that's really not there. Yeah. That might have been his best performance in the series. <laughs> I never liked you. <laughs> well, Dan, any final thoughts on, on Chain of Command? I'm not going to ask you if there's anything you, you dislike about this episode, because I know there's probably not. And anything there is might be minor. We both love this episode. Yes. So um, what, uh, give me your closing thoughts on, on Chain of Command as we bring this one into a space talk. Last week, we talked about how Measure of Man is maybe one of the few episodes in Star Trek Next Generation, if not all of Star Trek, that you have to see. This is another one. You have to see this episode if you want to know what Star Trek is like and what the characters that we've grown to love over the years are like. This cannot be missed. I have to agree with that 100%. I think that, um, you know, we, I, I've, I like the phrase, you know, Star Trek's finest hour. You know, I, there mm-hmm. are usually a couple of episodes in each series that, that qualify as some of those finest hours of Star Trek. And, um, you know, I loved this episode when it first came out, and I, I love it even more now. I think that this absolutely should be counted among them simply just from the, the amazing performances of the actors in this these episodes. And, you know, as much as I think Riker was a jerk, you know, Frakes is right up there too because he oh, right. made us feel like Riker was a jerk. Oh, absolutely. I, I, it's not to take away anything that uh, that Frakes did in the performance. It was, you know, meant to show that he was being a jerk and, and he nailed it. It was almost as good as you. <laughs> I'm not acting when I'm a jerk. <laughs> no, really, I'm not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, Dan, that kind of concludes our look at, at Chain of Command. It makes me want to go back and watch it all over again, man. Yeah, I I just watched it two days ago. I'm ready to watch it again. Well, it sounds like maybe we should right after this podcast. But before that, we always have to thank our friends, the band Five Year Mission, for all the amazing music they let us use for the Trek Geeks podcast. Every last bit of music you hear in these episodes are all original compositions by Five Year Mission. Dan, they're writing one song for every episode of the original Star Trek series, and they are working on year four as we speak, my friend. That's a lot of songs. Uh, Yes. (laughs) I will uh, also give uh, big kudos out to uh, Fark was at uh, a convention this past weekend, I think, and he was sporting the Trek Geek shirt, man. It looked pretty good. He was. I got to say. He um, looks fine in that t-shirt. I'm not going to lie. He looks fine in just about anything, I would think. But uh, I was watching an old Enterprise episode just the other day before Chain of Command. And uh, it was a good one. I think you might have liked it. Uh, some genetically enhanced musicians and conductor Eric Soong escaped from Cold Station 12 after stealing frozen embryos from storage. And, you know, Soong wanted to raise the embryo, embryos, but their, the musician leader Rittenhouse was tired of hiding. So he attempted to start a war between Starfleet and the Klingons. You should check it out. It's called The Farkments, and I think you will really enjoy it. <laughs> the Farkments. This, okay, I have two reactions to this. One, this could be the fan club of Fark. The Farkments. Two, it sounds like the evil anti-Junior Mint. <laughs> I'm getting hashtag, more dialogue out of you from this one than I think I ever have. Yeah. Hash, hashtag not junior mints. <laughs> All right. I'm going to write that down. It's going in the post tomorrow. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. It was painful. I saw that one coming a mile away, though. I just, I'm not going to lie. You're, uh, you're losing some mustard off your fastball. I finally get to throw a written house in there, too. So Mike's got to be a little happy. No, he won't be happy. Uh, I doubt it. He's not going to know anyway. 
Oh, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) But Dan, we want everyone to head out to fiveyearmission.net. Please check out their music, download their albums. We truly are huge fans of their music, and uh, we hope you become fans too. Dan, our iTunes subscribe and review campaign continues to steamroll toward the end of the quarter. We're giving... What was that? Steamroller in space. You realize a steamroller in space wouldn't make any sound, right? Anyway... (laughs) <laughs> we want everyone to head out to trekgeeks.com slash iTunes. Thank you for putting the link in the notes so I don't <laughs> screw it up again three weeks in a row. Um, where, Dan, people have a chance to win something pretty cool. $25 or whatever the monetary equivalent is in whatever country you might be uh, doing a review from. We want to hear what we're doing right. We want to hear what we're doing wrong. Just go to trekgeeks.com slash iTunes, do a review, and you are automatically in the running, which will be drawn at the end of the quarter, I believe, Bill. That is correct. A $25 Amazon.com gift card could be going to someone lucky. We've given out three so far, Dan. That's $75. Yeah. That's 75 bucks. The last one's coming up, and uh, we hope that uh, we, we hope to give it away to, uh, to somebody pretty soon. So. Give it away. Give it away. Give it away now. Well, great. Now, okay. Red Hot Chili Peppers are going to come after us. <laughs> Dan. Speaking of giving it away, why don't you give away what we're going to do next week? We're going to do something fun, Bill. Uh, We love see it or skip it. I know I do, and I think you do too. And from the reaction that we get, I think a lot of our listeners like it. So it's we just had one just like last week, didn't we? Last week. Whatever it was, and it was great. We're doing another one, and we're going to throw a little curveball at you. We're going to do something that probably some people wouldn't expect. We're Kicking off our original series, see it or skip it, TOS season one, next week. I'm I almost was hesitant to do the original series in a way because I feel like they're uh, they're all see it's to some extent. Oh but no, they're not. <laughs> no, they're not. You know, we we have this romanticism for TOS, and it's like, yeah, but it's like, well, no, some of those like marry your dogs, man. <laughs> <laughs> bonk bonk on the head. Blah, blah, blah. Lovey-dovey, (laughs) lovey-dovey. So next week, another theater skip at a fan favorite returns yet again on Trek Geeks. Dan, for more great Star Trek discussion, please check out the Tricorder Transmissions online at thetricordertransmissions.com. And of course, for all the latest news on everything Star Trek, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode 94 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Smith, William, serial number CO-CON-UT, son of Howard and Eleanor Smith, born in Guilford, New Hampshire, current executive producer of the Trek Geeks podcast. You will be a most interesting challenge does this come with a live test for breakfast i just want to know mm, yummy <laughs>
Bing bong. <laughs> so was it, that's not like you were yawning in the middle. I'm sorry, we're keeping you awake. Troubles are not dangerous. Another you. I'm not dangerous at all. No, no I'm dangerous when my wife's cold because she's hacking up a lung here behind us. Oh, great! Yeah, she's had a great cough for several days. Poor thing. That makes, that makes for a pristine recording environment. <laughs> yep. We'll have dogs snoring and barking and everything. It's gonna be a lot of fun. My dog normally snores, but it's usually when I'm talking. Oh, probably because you're so boring. What? <laughs> so I got a I got a work story for you. Oh, this, this yeah, might be okay. something that people like. Okay. So, Did you get fired? No. Okay, we'll hate it then. Well, okay. <laughs> so we introduced a new person to the IT team today. It was his first day on the job. Uh, and his first name is Ben. I can give his first name. That's not a problem. So um, during the day, I had been working on a bunch of stuff, so I hadn't really had a chance to go over and introduce myself to him. So um, as the day progressed, I actually had to do some work on his machine. So I went up to him and I introduced him uh, myself. I said, hey, Ben, my name's Dan Davidson. I work on the help desk and with the IT team, and I just wanted to introduce myself and welcome you to the team. He goes, hey, man, nice to meet you. I love your podcast. What? And I'm like, What? He's like, oh, yeah. I go, yeah, okay. What's the name of it? He goes, Trek Geeks. I've been listening to it for like a year. I was like, oh, my God. So, wait. You got your first stalker at work. <laughs> yeah, I was really excited. So, Ben, welcome aboard. And uh, it's not often that we do the uh, work person knows us from the podcast. Usually, it's the podcast is known through the work. So, I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, that actually is really cool. Yep. And. He's going to learn how much I hate you in short order because he has to work with you. And that's even, I've done that. Wow. Well, I'm, you know what? You know what? I guarantee you today, I actually, you're going to like this too. Same, same kind of story, work story. Today, I brought some new stuff to work. You know, I had some of my stuff at work on display for a while, but with the new recording studio here at home, I want to soup that up with my, with my stuff. So I brought some new stuff to work today. And one of them is something that you're very familiar with. The diecast metal enterprise that you dropped. Chances are he won't be so stupid as to pick it up. I I am turning off this recording right now. <laughs> That'll teach you. <ya. laughs> wow. So, so he instantly recognized your name from the podcast. How long has he been at your company? He started today. So he's like brand new employee. I don't know if he know, you know, maybe you know if he's a very intent listener and I'll get some more information from him. He knows I work in Maine. He knows I live in Maine. Maybe he just put the name together when I introduced. I have no idea. No clue. Yeah, how many jerks named Dan Davidson could there be in Maine? Just one. And you're with them all the time. <laughs> dumb, dumb. Uh, yeah. It's like, it's not, you know, how many dumb William Smiths are there in the world? Since that's like not the most common name in the world, chances are there's probably more than one. But you, sir, take the main prize it's going to be a fun conversation tonight isn't it yeah i can't wait <laughs> it's going to be thrilling that's all right i'm I'm a little giddy i mean i had a i had a 16 hour you know statement run yesterday so i'm wide awake congratulations yeah time Dog, you're chewing the bone right here the microphone's picking that all up <laughs> callie's chewing her nyla bone right at my feet go away right. with you wait don't say anything for a second i want to hear it well, now she's not. Now she's looking at me. Oh, so you're a big liar. No, wait a minute. She's going. Hold on. She does. This is really riveting. You hear that? Oh, yeah. See? You think I was lying? You just called me a liar a minute ago. 
Well, you should, you're not lying now, but you were back then. <laughs> Trying to blame all the noise you're making on your dog. What a wow. jerk. Yeah, why don't you just read the wrong winner of the best picture and be done with it? I I woke up, I don't watch the Oscars. I don't I hate award shows. Yep. And um, I woke up to that this morning going, uh, okay. And um, <laughs> I care why? Nobody cares. Come on. Well, Sue, say hi to everybody since you're talking already. Hi. Okay, that's my wife, people. Ah, isn't she great? Hello. I, there, I thought we lost you. <laughs> I was just trying to get her to the dog to shoo out of the area so that we wouldn't have gnawing nylabone all show. <laughs> Hashtag gnawing nylabone. I can't even say it. <laughs> hey, wow, went right up my alley. <laughs> no, it's a Dan Davidson special. A Dan Davidsonism. <laughs> I just so many things I can come back with that I'm just not even going to. <laughs> Most of them are not fit for public consumption. Wow. Okay, then. I know, right? Right. Absolutely. Right. Right. So is it true that it was in the mid-70s down there this weekend? Um, it was pretty, yeah, it was Saturday. I was out uh, in short sleeves walking Abbey. Man, it was like 55 here, but I talked to my sister, and she said it was like 77 in Nashville. Um, I, crazy. I, I think it may be topped out at about seventy two here. I don't I don't I don't think it got as high as seventy seven, but So my sister's a liar. But she also no. thinks that Alex Trebek was in insurrection, so No, she's not a liar. It just could have been warmer where she was. Or maybe her thermometer's in the sun. I don't know. I'm not gonna call her a liar, just her brother <laughs> who's on the podcast. Because her other brother is a fine human being. <laughs> That's wow. And some love to Dawn there tonight. Why well, wouldn't I? He's a great guy. He is a great guy. It's too bad you're a schmuck. If it's not for him, I wouldn't even like Star Trek. I know. Now I have to deal with you, so I guess I lose. <laughs> I think America loses. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You ready to do this, jerk? I am, dummy. Okay. Check us. <laughs> One buzzer- Ba ba